Good day, good day, good day. I am Apostle Shelby Frederick, and I want to welcome you to our new Grow in Faith Bible study. This Bible study is designed for individuals who want to be discipled in the Word, mentored in life application, and developed in character and purpose. I personally disciple those who know that there is more, but don't know how to attain it. Our community culture centers on John chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. Jesus explained, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father too. If you desire to know your identity, position, purpose, and significance in Christ, join our growing discipleship community. Good evening, good evening, good evening. I want to welcome you to our first Grow in Faith Bible study. I am Apostle Shelby Frederick, and we are broadcasting live from the Columbus, Ohio region. It is a privilege and an honor uh, to be with you in this place and space. Um, I do um, encourage you uh, to get your pen, your paper, um, grab your Bibles, um, because we are getting ready to take a walk uh, through the word as we always do. Feel free to invite someone uh, to our stream on tonight. Um, we are not streaming to Facebook. We are actually on my um, website at shelbyfrederick.com on the media tab, or you can also view us at um, our YouTube channel. And we are broadcasting live there. And so um, I'm going to send out one more notification while you get your pen, uh, your paper, and your Bible. Um, because there's some things that we want to talk about on tonight. Um, the Lord had been dealing with me about uh, coming back to uh, teaching on prayer again and the importance of um, us being rooted and grounded in our faith. We know that we are coming up on uh, challenging times, uh, so much that is going on in the world, and we want to continue to be a people of prayer. Um, one of the things he began to um, speak to me about was about the DNA of Christ and also the blueprint uh, that he left for us. So I'm gonna give you a few more moments to uh, go ahead and to jump on. Just want to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, I am delighted that you have uh, tuned in and I'm gonna open us up with a word of prayer. So Father, we just bless you. We praise you and we honor you. We give you glory uh, for this is your day this is your time. Uh, this is us communing with you in your presence. Uh, we thank you, Father God, just for another opportunity uh, to come into uh, this place and space, Lord, uh, to open up your word 
and to hear what it is, Lord, that you would speak to us, Father. Um, I thank you, Father God, Lord, that as we are moving forward in our assignment, as we are uh, equipping um, in the word, oh God, as we are walking alongside Father God in discipleship and in application of the word, we thank you, Father God, that uh, you are here with us, that you are leading and you are guiding us. We thank you, Father God, Lord, that our eyes and our ears would be open, um, the understanding, Father God, that you would have for us to come into as we are in this series, Lord, of, of developing and going deeper um, in our relationship with you, going deeper and having a greater understanding of, of who Jesus Christ is as our chief intercessor in the blueprint that he left for us, Father. And so we thank you, O God, and we submit, Father, uh, to you, um, expecting our foundation, Father, looking at the foundation in our lives, O God, looking at the foundation of prayer, Father. Hallelujah. Glory to your name. And so we just um, say, Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead us and guide us, Father God, as we are going through this time of teaching. And we bless you and we praise you and we give your name all of the glory. We give you all of the honor and we give you all of the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 You know, the Lord has a way of um, keeping us um, in this time of um and uh reminding us as we are on our journey um one of the first teachings that i began to do um, in this area of prayer um, actually was called the dna of of prayer and um one of the very first things when you talk about laying a foundation he began to deal with me about uh the dna and the importance of us understanding um, really who we are, um, really understanding how he has created us, how he has made us. And so as we are coming into uh, this uh, teaching on the blueprint of prayer, I want to say welcome to each of you that are coming on, those that will watch the replay. I want to um, just take a look at um, giving us some definition here. Now I am uh, by trade, most of you may know, um, by trade, a licensed massage therapist. And so I'm very familiar with anatomy and physiology, um, have even taught um, in uh, our medical uh, massage therapy school, um, taught anatomy and physiology um, just prior to the, um, the pandemic. And um, so I want to give us this um, overview, uh, um, start us out with this uh, science lesson, as I call it, on, on DNA, on DNA. And it's all going to tie in together. It's all going to come together uh, with our what it is that God wants us to hear and what it is that he wants us to learn and know and understand about him. So when we talk about DNA, what is DNA? DNA is a large complex molecule that allows uh, cells to function and it carries the genetic code that determines the traits of a living organism. So there is DNA in every cell of every living thing. Also, 
some viruses have DNA. Now, life as we know it wouldn't exist without DNA. Why? Because it contains the instructions that cells need to function. So DNA is found in the cell nucleus and every cell in an organism has the exact same copy of DNA that is in every other cell. And each cell uses its copy of DNA whenever it needs to make a protein. Now, proteins have many essential jobs within a living thing. For example, your immune system, it produces proteins called antibodies to fight germs. So the information that's in DNA, it controls the development of specific traits, such as the shape of a leaf or the color of hair. Specifically, these traits are determined by genes, which are segments of DNA within strands called chromosomes. So the set of all information contained in the DNA of any living thing, all of its inheritable traits is called a genome, a genome. Now, DNA is the abbreviation of deoxyribonucleic acid. And this is a type of macromolecule, meaning that it's a very large molecule. And it is one that is composed of hundreds of thousands of atoms known as nucleic acid. And these nucle nucleic acids are made of smaller molecules known as nucleotides. And it goes on, so on and so forth. Now, we know that a DNA has the shape that's known as a double helix, and it resembles a spiraled ladder. So the DNA ladder is built from two very long strands of nucleotides that are within the nitrogen bases that pairs them together to form these rungs of the ladder. And the bases form what we call base pairs. Now, because DNA only exists within the cell's nucleus, the genetic information must be distributed somehow. So this is one of the rules of RNA, which is a macromolecule that works alongside the DNA to make proteins. And during this process, RNA acts as a kind of copy of the DNA that carries its genetic information outside of the cell nucleus. Now, if you are very attentive to what it is that I am speaking on tonight, um, you're going to be able to catch some of the revelation that God began to give me several years ago when it comes to understanding when he gave me the DNA of prayer, when he gave me the DNA of prayer, because what I was able to see in the DNA and even by what I've shared with you, I see the father, I see the son, and I see the Holy Spirit, my God. And I'm, I may come back 
and actually um, break this down um, a little bit further as we are in this teaching series. So we have DNA and we understand that um, DNA is what carries um, all of the genetic code of traits of a living organism. Now we know that we are created in the likeness and the image of God. So we within ourselves carry the DNA of the father, the DNA of the son and the DNA of the Holy Spirit. So when we look at blueprints, so the blueprint, we're talking about prayer and we're, we're talking about blueprints that have been left by us and left for us by Jesus. So what is a blueprint? A blueprint, one definition says that a blueprint is a photographic print in white on bright blue background or blue on a white ground that's used especially for copying maps, mechanical drawings, and architect's plans. See by the spirit, hear by the spirit what we are talking about tonight. Another definition is that a blueprint is a photographic copy of an early plan for a building or machine. Another definition says that a blueprint is an early plan or design that explains how something might be achieved. We also have another definition for blueprint is a complete plan that explains how to do or develop something. And the last one is that a blueprint is a plan that describes how to do or achieve something in the future. So as I was looking, I'm a, I'm a word person. So as I um, was taking a look at just all of the definitions and, and just uh, doing and just really meditating and looking at um, where we're going to start this study on tonight. Um, we're going to be in John chapter 16, and eventually we will get to John chapter 17, which is the Lord's prayer, the prayer that Jesus prayed. So when we look at John chapter 16, uh, we see that this is the chapter, and it's really the last chapter of Jesus teaching um, to the disciples. And he had already mentioned, we see the Holy Spirit mentioned here twice. And now he begins to explain in detail how the Holy Spirit would teach and lead the disciples. He also reminded them of how important it was that they listened to him because whenever Jesus spoke, important things happened in the lives of those who heard. So remember, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about the blueprint of prayer. 
and more specifically, the DNA of Jesus. So looking at when Jesus speaks, when Jesus speaks, we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is not some type of uh, supernatural influence that is just hanging out above the clouds. The Holy Spirit, he comes to us and through us, he carries out his ministry to the world. This is who um, God left. He said, I'm sending you a, a comforter. I'm sending you one that will lead you and that will guide you to all truth. And so Holy Spirit is a significant part of the communication process whenever Jesus speaks. Whenever Jesus speaks, Holy Spirit is a significant part of the communication process. Whenever we pray, Holy Spirit is a significant part of the communication process whenever Jesus speaks. So as we are looking at persecution, and we're at John chapter 16, verses 1 through 16. So persecution comes to those who faithfully stand up for Christ. Even in the book of Acts, we see two of the disciples, Peter and John, they were arrested for their proclamation of the resurrection. And that's Acts chapter four, verses one through three. So the promise of the spirit also warns that those who are filled with the spirit will suffer for their faith. So as we are looking at John chapter 16 verses, um, let's start with verses one through four. Verses one through four. And it says, I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you because I was with you. And so when we look at the very first um, excommunication that he talks about in this particular passage, he says that they will put you out of the synagogue. We know that Peter and John, they were arrested at the temple. Paul, Barnabas, and Silas, they were thrown out of numerous synagogues. Even Martin Luther, was exiled from the Roman Catholic Church. So these verses spin directly from John chapter 15, verses 18 through 20, where the Lord had predicted 
persecution because of hatred by the world. Now, the second dimension that we're looking at tonight is murder. So anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. From Stephen to the thousands of modern martyrs, those who are witnesses for Jesus, they have always faced the possibility of death. Just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who pursued um, believers or Christians in the New Testament, people today still persecute followers of Jesus for religious reasons. We see it all around us. People are offended for us standing up for who we believe in. I saw a video, um, it must have been on one of the reels or something, and it was literally a, a preacher, I believe. I believe that he might have been a pastor. And he had on his church, it's uh, on his T-shirt, it said um, uh, something like Jesus saves. And, and, and do you not know that they were trying to put him out of the mall that he was in? And they told him that he could not wear that T-shirt there. Over a T-shirt. So people today are still being persecuted. We are still being persecuted for being followers of Jesus for religious reasons. Now, there were actually more martyrs for the Christian faith in the 20th century than all of the previous centuries that were put together. So the practical application of these warnings is in verse number four, because I like to make things practical so that we can walk them out. We get understanding. We get equipped. We get taught. We get understanding so that we can now apply it. So the application of the warning is in verse four. And so the disciples would experience persecution in just a matter of weeks and certainly months. And the Lord wanted them to recall this quiet night of teaching when chaos later broke out on the streets of Jerusalem. And some have puzzled over the sentence, I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. And especially in view of the prediction of persecution in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, verse 21 and verse 28. It says that beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Verse 28, it says, don't fear those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So this was the personal instruction linked with the role of Holy Spirit and something that was absent from Matthew chapter 10. And Matthew, Matthew chapter 10 is the commissioning of the 12, the commissioning 
of the 12. So if we look at John chapter 16, verses five through seven, it says, but now I am going away to him who sent me and not one of you asked me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So the Lord told the disciples that he was leaving them and going back to the father. And this caused them deep sorrow. But when we take a look at it, we see that the glass was half full rather than the glass being half empty. So if Jesus did not leave, the counselor could not come. And he had important work to do in the earth. You see, Jesus, he had fulfilled his assignment. And now it was time for the assignment of Holy Spirit to come into the earth to do his work. So Jesus did not say why the Holy Spirit could not come until he went away. But we understand from the New Testament that the son's return to glory was a condition for sending the Holy Spirit to work in the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So imagine a mother of two children whose husband had been away on business. She must go to the airport to pick him up. She informs the children that, you know, you're going to be alone at home just for a little while. Just for a little while. Maybe three or four hours. While I make this trip across the city. Most children... They wouldn't want their mother to leave. They don't want her to leave because they fear what might happen to them. So they want to go with her. But for a variety of reasons, she must go alone. So she assures them that this will be better. This is going to be better for the whole family when I return with your father, whom you've missed so deeply. So the anticipation and the reluctance of their children can be magnified many times by the sadness of the disciples on this occasion. Let's look at verse eight. Verse eight says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, we know many of our evangelistic uh, messages, they preach about these three points prominently, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we're going to look at the following verses, but I want us to concentrate on the verb convict that translates the Greek word elecho, elecho, E-L-E-G-C-H-O. So what did Jesus mean when he said the Holy Spirit will convict the world of guilt? Okay. This means that he was bringing correction 
correction. So since the New Testament speaks often of the Holy Spirit's work in the lives of the believers, we find it a little more difficult to understand what the Spirit does in the world or in the cosmos. We must not miss the important words to you at the end of verse 7. Let's go back and read verse 7. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. So again, like I stated earlier, is that the Holy Spirit is just not out floating around the cosmos, um, spreading general feelings of conviction. Because the New Testament makes it very plain that conviction and awareness of sin comes through the hearing of scripture. The hearing of scripture. So the reference to the world, as we have repeatedly seen in John and in other areas of this particular book of John, it centers in the unbelieving society, which will be challenged and shaken in its own devotion to sin by the power of the word and the spirit working through God's people. So John centered on the spirit's work to unbelievers in verses 8 through 11, and then he switched it to his work in believers in verses 12 through 15. So let's read verses 11, 8 through 11. It says, when he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Verses 12 through 15. It says, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. There's that word here again. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. <clears throat> Everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So the last part of verse nine gives us another key to this particular section of scripture. So the work of Holy Spirit in the lives of believers, it convicts unsaved people because their message radiates Christ. So unbelief is the condemning sin that closes the door to heaven and opens the door to hell. But people do not go to hell because they smoke, because they drink, because they curse, but because they reject faith in Christ. So this sin categorizes every unregenerate person. So let me encourage you tonight. God is not looking for a perfect people, but people who are willing to accept atonement that he has already provided. 
He has already provided atonement for us. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, the Holy Spirit also convicts the world in regard to righteousness. So this element of the passage is connected to the ascension, which completed the glorification process and therefore proved the righteousness of Christ. If we look at Psalm chapter 11, Psalm chapter, excuse me, Psalm chapter 17, verse one, Psalm 17, verse one, it says, Lord, Hear a just cause. Pay attention to my cry. Listen to my prayer from lips free of deceit. Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. The earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to who? It belongs to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the sea and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. So it is not the world. It's, it's not that the world does not believe in righteousness. But unbelievers and believers alike magnify the work of people. Magnify the work of, of leaders, those that we esteem. But the world only believes in relative righteousness. And Christ's righteousness is absolute. It's absolute. So these chapters, they are telling us how the counselor, the spirit of truth can produce God's righteous fruit in our lives that is patterned after the life and righteousness, come on, of Jesus himself. We're talking about DNA. Hallelujah. We're talking about DNA. Glory to God. So people do not see their need for Christ and do not believe in him because they have a confused view of righteousness unformed by truth. So what we see is, ju is justification. Justification is a central issue in salvation and it has everything to do with righteousness. It is God who declares believers righteous on the basis of the death of Christ who paid the penalty for sin. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now in verse 11, here is where so much preaching on this passage sometimes can go awry. We have a discussion of sin and righteousness, and it seems to lead almost automatically to a warning about judgment for those who reject Christ. But the word because that word because that appears before each of these key words indicates that the Lord was not talking about judgment to come as he did in 
chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. The final judgment of this world and Satan was accomplished at Calvary. Let me say it again. The final judgment of this world and Satan was accomplished at Calvary. So the great enemy of truth is now living on borrowed time. Why? Because judgment will come, but the focus here is on the awareness that the prince of this world now stands condemned. And who is the prince of this world? Hallelujah. The prince of this world is Satan himself. Satan himself. So verse 12 is a good example of progressive revelation. It is the principle that God just not does not just dump all truth at one time and expect us to remember it, but teaches us truths as we need to know them. So the Bible itself is the greatest example of this as we read God's progressive unfolding of the plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation. So does the phrase more than you can now bear mean that the disciples were not able to understand everything? Or they could not accomplish necessary ministry without the Holy Spirit's help. We should probably conclude that both are true. But when the counselor comes, it will be a different situation. Why? Because he will teach God's truth to believers. Now, some people can see this passage as only relating just to the, uh, the uh, revelatory work of the spirit in the lives of those who wrote the New Testament. But there is a broader emphasis here on the illumination as well as revelation. The spirit of God is enabling us to understand what others have written about God's truth. How often did Jesus, did he, did he tell um, anyone who would listen that he had no personal agenda, no particular message of his own. And we should be the same. He had been sent by the father and that he would proclaim only the father's truth. Now, he said exactly the same thing about Holy Spirit. We're talking about DNA. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And maybe I should have entitled this the DNA of the believer. Glory to God. Glory to God. All truth is God's truth. And it comes to us through creation. It comes to us through the person of Jesus. It comes to us through scripture. Hallelujah. God's truth is a guide that implies leadership toward a person who is interested in traveling on the right path, but who needs help in finding it. Sometimes we have not progressed far enough, far enough along on the way of truth. But it is desirous of us, of ongoing and going on and keep on going in the right direction. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. So we have to keep going. And this is why sometimes we have to come back and we have to revisit our foundation. Sometimes we can get complacent in just the truth that we have heard and, and we don't progress further along 
into deeper truths of God. Hallelujah. But it tells us that when truth is communicated and believed, that it brings glory to God. It brings glory to God. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. It says that he will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. So whenever truth is communicated and believed, see, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to believe. We have a responsibility to continue to communicate truth. So when truth is communicated, when truth is believed, it brings glory to God. More specifically, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, will glorify the Son of God by telling believers even more about God's truth than what Jesus had time to do during his brief time, my God, on earth. So these verses are filled and they're fulfilled repeatedly when we read the writings of, of Paul or when we read the writings of Peter. We know more about Jesus because Holy Spirit first revealed it and now explains it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Let's look at verse 16. Verse 16. It says, in a little while, you will no longer see me. Again, in a little while, you will see me. So finally, the Lord emphasized the purpose of truth by reminding the disciples one more time that he was leaving. And this verse serves as a connection between the early part of chapter 16 and the remainder that deals with the disciples' reaction to Jesus' departure. So the phrase, you will see me, appears again in verses 17 through 19. And it reminds us of John chapter 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. Hallelujah. I am coming to you. Hallelujah. I think I want to pause right here um, for this week and come back and pick up on verses 17, start at verse 17 for next week, because I really want us to meditate on this passage of scripture and what we have talked about so far. When we look at confusion sometimes that we can have, especially when we don't know and we don't understand our identity in Christ, when understanding what our responsibility is when Jesus speaks, understanding communication is so very important. And all of this is going to lead us up to um, prayer. It's going to lead us up to the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. But I wanted to just start by laying this foundation and us really getting understanding 
of the significance of Christ going away and the entrance of Holy Spirit into the world and to get us to understand that there is a place in prayer that we can go to. There is a place of us living in the kingdom where the supernatural is, is, is just natural, where we're not surprised at when a miracle is performed. And it all stems from this foundation that we are laying on tonight of when Jesus speaks, what happens when Jesus speaks and how Holy Spirit, he comes not only to us, but through us, he carries out his ministry to the world. And Holy Spirit is a significant part of the communication process whenever Jesus speaks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. So we just praise you on tonight, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father God, Lord, that even as we begin to meditate and we begin to look at John chapter 16, um, leading into John chapter 17, when we think about, you know, Holy Spirit and the role of Holy Spirit in our lives, hallelujah, we want to come into a deeper revelation, a deeper understanding we want to not neglect Holy Spirit. We don't want to pray prayers that are void of Holy Spirit. We don't want to pray prayers where we are doing all of the talking. We want to pray prayers that we hear the voice of Jesus speaking. We want to pray prayers, hallelujah, Glory to God, glory to God that will shake nations, that will cause people to want to know who is this God that you serve. Hallelujah. So we just bless you and we honor you on tonight. We give you glory, we give you honor, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you so much for tuning in on tonight. Um, I do have um, one announcement that I would like to share with you all. And want to bring this up on the screen here. Um, War Room Warriors is, um, is excited to um, host uh, Rafa Nights Ohio here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, here in Columbus, Ohio. And our theme is going to be love and leadership. Uh, this will be on February the 17th and 18th. Um, Friday night service is absolutely free. Uh, so you can come those that are in need of healing, 
um, those that want to come um, for worship. Um, listen, Jesus will be there. Hallelujah. Jesus will be there. And we have a great expectation of the presence of God meeting us here. Our Saturday will be our prayer intensive. Um, that registration for that is $99. That does include um, your workbook. Um, it also includes your lunch. Glory to God. And so we are excited about coming together and converging uh, one with another on February the 17th and 18th here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, you can register uh, for Love and Leadership at uh, www.warroomwarriorsequippingcenter.com. Warroomwarriorsequippingcenter.com. Um, seating is limited, so you want to make sure that you get your registration in um, very, very soon uh, to not wait to the last minute because our seating is limited um, in the facility um, that we will be hosting it in. And that is where I serve here uh, locally in Columbus, Ohio at Word at Work Ministries, 931 East Hudson Street here in Columbus. Again, uh, we are um, excited for Love and Leadership, Rafa Nights, Ohio. It's a night of prayer, worship, healing. It's going to be a weekend of equipping. We have a great expectation that God is going to meet us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so bring your teams out. Um, if you want to learn more about prayer, if you want to be equipped in prayer, um, there is a specific word that God has given us. And so we are excited. I'm excited for um, Prophet Denise, uh, who will be with us from um, Atlanta, Georgia. So mark your calendars for February the 17th through the 18th, um, starting at 7 o'clock p.m. on that Friday night in our um, Saturday prayer intensive will be Saturday morning from 10 o'clock a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. Registration is $99, and that prayer intensive, intensive does include your lunch and your workbook for the day. Thank you so much for tuning in with us um, for our first um, Growing Faith Bible Study. I pray that you were blessed. I pray that you were encouraged. I pray that it has um, um, given you a desire uh, to want to um, uh, just learn more about prayer, um, become more intimate um, with Jesus and Holy Spirit um, in your prayer time. We will be back here on next Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is not, I will share the link to Facebook, but I'm not streaming it to Facebook. You can find us streaming at uh, shelbyfrederick.com on the media tab, or for those of you that are watching uh, from the YouTube channel, you can find it there. All right. We are going to sign off for tonight. Again, God bless you all. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will catch you on the airwaves on next Monday evening. God bless. Bye-bye.